You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Here's where we are. I think, I think this idea of generosity is important because as Christians, we always find ourselves engaging in some form of battle. It's lost jobs, sickness, lost loved ones, unhealthy relationships, unsteady finances, insecurities, uh, work, relationships, injustice. We find ourselves always longing for God to show Himself strong. And the Scriptures tell us that we need to be equipped. If you're on the other side, if you will say equipped. We need to be equipped. And we need to learn how to live in the power of God's Spirit at work within us, among us, and through us. Sometimes, equipping must begin with remembering. It's why we celebrate every week when we get together. We celebrate the Eucharist. We celebrate the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We remember that we're God's beloved children, and because of that, we are family in Christ. We're family in God. We remember that we are citizens of God's kingdom. We remember that not only is Jesus our Savior and Redeemer, our Lord and King, we also remember that Jesus is our teacher. And even in the Eucharist, we remember all these things, and we remember that we are His disciples. And sometimes we have to take time to remember what it means to be disciples, especially since that word disciple or discipleship comes with lots of baggage for some of us. I've been thinking about how we've seen discipleship at work in WCC over the years. Now, obviously, each one of us can only point to what we've seen in WCC for the time we've been here. For me, it's 10 years. And in 10 years, I've seen discipleship in concrete and practical ways that go beyond Sunday gatherings. So if you're new to WCC, I especially want to ask you to hear this. If you haven't been here for 10 years, hear this so you can catch what God has done. See, I saw discipleship almost 10 years ago when Garrett got into an accident, and we kept him on staff because we love and value his work and his family's presence. I saw discipleship when many of us remodeled their house and built the ramp. I've seen discipleship when we made space in our life together, both on Sundays and beyond, to publicly grieve and lament the suffering that we were experiencing the first two years I know that I was here. I've seen discipleship when many of us agreed to spend all day and all night in shifts at, a, at the house of a member to sit with a sick loved one. I remember discipleship when we have seen meet people in our church do odd jobs and hard jobs at the houses of single mamas and older WCC family members. I've seen discipleship when we as a church have walked with neighbors through social displacement and homelessness off the streets into their own homes, when we provided groceries, rental assistance, and most importantly, friendship, and still do. I've seen discipleship when we got a word from a campus minister a while back that an international student was stranded in Williamsburg with no place to live but needed to finish school. And we made an announcement and seven to eight families immediately without knowing the student whatsoever raised their hand and said that they would keep him in their homes. I've seen discipleship when we as a church have paid for funeral services of those in our town who died without a home. I've seen discipleship in this church, when we found out the 200 AIDS orphans in Kenya were being abused and burned with no place to live, and we trusted God to provide through this church $117,000 to 
to help them build a new facility, hire teachers, drill water wells, and give new life to an entire village, including planting a church, so they could leverage their own gifts and economic resources to create new jobs and sustainability. I've seen discipleship when we as a church became debt-free so that we could do those things. I've seen discipleship in this church when the Lawanga House community, a group of men and women who were living through mental illness and intellectual disabilities, were asked to leave two churches and found a church with us. I've seen discipleship when they couldn't get to our worship gatherings because of schedules of some of the, some of the nuns and the sisters, and so we picked them up every week. I've seen discipleship when how our women's retreat changed because the women of Lawanga wanted to come and things needed to be adjusted and reorganized. And what some might even call an inconvenience, you called a joy. I've seen discipleship when their house burned down and they lost everything. And this church gave a few thousand dollars randomly, immediately on one Sunday, and then even took them shopping. Many of us took them shopping for clothes and shared in that joy one Sunday afternoon. I've seen discipleship when someone in WCC was walking through difficulty and tragedy and you provided meals and words of comfort. I've seen discipleship in our Shalom ministry where people can come and try to find wholeness. I've seen discipleship in our missional communities and how they've sought to be present in neighborhoods, helping neighbors and simply sharing meals with neighbors to be present with them just as Christ would be present with them. A few weeks ago, I saw discipleship just a couple of weeks ago at the homeless shelter in the middle of COVID. I saw it yesterday. I saw discipleship yesterday as we participated with the Village Initiative in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church to load up boxes of food from the USDA for scores of neighbors and deliver some of those boxes to some of our own WCC family who just find themselves with with a little need right now. I mean, really, I could go on and on. See, I've seen us love generously. And when I have seen us love generously, I've seen us give generously, which makes sense. Because loving and giving always go hand in hand. Last week, Garrett invited us to give more generously. In that invitation, we're reminded to love more generously. It was, you could say, a call to purposeful discipleship. Because God's generosity is enough. And we live out of the abundance of God's generosity. Now, what I've found is that when, Christians, when churches and Christians talk about discipleship, we often think of Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. We, and, and, and I know we're just in the beginning of Matthew, but I want to skip to the end of Matthew and then circle back around, especially as we prepare to enter the Lenten season this Wednesday on Ash Wednesday. So here's the text I'm talking about, and it'll probably sound familiar to you if you have grown up in church context. Matthew 28, verse 16. Um, so, it, hey, look, real quick, if you have your Uversion app, I want to encourage you to get into that. All of this will be there for you. And there's also some meaningful announcements and also ways to plug in. So if you'll go to your version, uh, that would be good. Matthew 28, verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. i got to admit, I love King Jimmy's version when he says, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And lo, 
I like that. We should talk like that. We don't talk like that anymore, do we? Hello, I have showed up from work. See, that's how we should, we should enter when we get home. All right, I digress. You see, this, you see this text sometimes in banners and churches, and you, see, you hear about it all the time, right? Now, I don't want to stop there, because Luke picks up with this story in his own account in the book of Acts. And he writes this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After Jesus had suffered, he also presented himself alive to the disciples by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And speaking about the kingdom of God. See, Luke tells us that for 40 days, Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. But if you read Matthew 28 only, you would think that all Jesus said to them was, go and make disciples. So we practically interpret this Matthew 28 text as a call to evangelize and make disciples. It's what the church of the USA has called the Great Commission. The Great Commission, that's what we branded it. And what this has led to in some cases is practices of evangelism that actually do not make disciples. When we remove Matthew 28 from a larger narrative that that the gospel tries to point us to, like going into Luke. See, it's what motivates churches to create bait-and-switch benevolence tactics with people in poverty. You know, come and get a meal, but you have to listen to a Bible study first kind of tactic. It's also what led to Western missionary movements like colonialism and ethnic and racial injustice. This whole idea of a great commission has also created language like winning people to Christ, right? Or churches uh, that approach things like seeker-sensitive movements and seeker-sensitive churches that create sort of big programs and ministries to accomplish what we call the great commission. And and here's the thing, this this kind of great commission approach to evangelism and disciple making has, in many occasions, not all, but in many occasions, subtly taught Christians to see people as prospects to save, projects to fix, or problems to solve. I've done it. I've seen it. I've participated in it. I've been a part of a church that in the name of the Great Commission grew bigger buildings and leveraged financial resources in such a way that there was so much debt incurred that when it came down to it, sadly, the congregation couldn't even tell the congregation what it really meant to be a disciple of Jesus practically and concretely for fear that they'd lose people and offerings and not be able to fulfill their financial debt obligations. See, I've been thinking about how many of us in the Christian life have anchored our understanding of discipleship and even evangelism in Matthew 28 and what we've called the Great Commission. What I find interesting about that and have for many years is that we've called Matthew 28 the Great Commission despite the fact that the Scriptures never explicitly or implicitly refer to it in that way. As a matter of fact, beloved, the only thing the Lord Jesus refers to as great is found in Matthew 22, verse 37 and 40. Jesus said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now stay with me. Because I can't help but wonder if we should have always anchored the Christian life in what Jesus said was the greatest, rather than than what preachers like me called great, you know, the Great Commission. Maybe, maybe if we'd have done that, 
Maybe we would have never viewed our neighbors as projects to fix or prospects to save or problems to solve, but as persons to be loved. See, later in a private moment with Jesus' disciples, John tells us that he taught a new commandment in John 13, verse 34. I give you a new commandment, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving our neighbors as Jesus teaches us in Matthew 22, includes loving each other. That kind of love becomes our witness. And you hear this from Paul, even, who takes this cue from Matthew in Romans chapter 8. Actually, I think it's Romans, um, I think it's Romans chapter 13. Yeah, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, where he told the churches in Rome, listen, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment, all are summed up by this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, fulfills the law. That's what Paul said. Paul said that. And he took his cues from Matthew's Jesus. So here's here's the thing. Stay with me. We know that the love of God in Christ is generous beyond measure. But do we know that the work of God's measureless and generous love is to teach us to love generously and without measure? And if we wonder how we can learn to love generously without measure... We remember that the answer is by God's Spirit at work within us and our willingness to trust God and do it. Beloved, learning comes by doing. So we must talk about loving our neighbors often, all of them, right? From our coworkers to immigrants to refugees to the last left out lonely and least of these, right? We must talk about loving even our enemies because they too are our neighbors. We must talk about loving one another because we are each other's neighbor. And we must talk about things like gracious hospitality, mutual submission, faithful presence, compassion, learning to listen to others, being honest about our lives, restorative justice, because all of that talk is about loving generously and it's got to look like something. We have to remember what Jesus called great rather than what the church in the USA has often called great. We have to remember that our great commission isn't Matthew 28, beloved, but it's what Jesus called the greatest commandment, and that's to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, because that's what disciples do. And when we love generously without measure, we bear witness to the reign of Christ and put the beauty of Christ on display. And then, then the words we use will describe what our neighbors see. That's evangelism. Imagine with me for a minute. Can you imagine how our city or even our nation would look if the church would have kept first things first and considered what the Lord called greatest and most important as the church's great commission. I mean, how different would people feel about Christianity and the church if we would have kept first things first and committed to loving every neighbor generously without measure, out of our love for God? 
See, I think our neighbors are weary of words. We may even be weary of words. There are too many politicians on both sides making empty promises. There are too many commentators on television diagnosing the ills of society with no attempt to prescribe a meaningful cure beyond party, political, or antagonistic us-versus-them rhetoric. But what if we, Williamsburg Christian Church, each one of us and us together, decided again that we would take the greatest command as our great commission and do so seriously and practically? Like, what if we decided to live our lives and interact with our neighbors, including those with whom we disagree, in such a way that they would see the beauty of Christ in us through the faithful presence of the Holy Spirit-filled people called the church. See, as I listen to my neighbors, I've come to believe that the church can no longer alienate herself from all that's wrong in society. We've talked about this for years. We have to enter into it and display something beautiful. We must display a love that is generous and offers hope to a world racked by fear and feelings of not enough. And if this is to happen, beloved, you and I must be willing to replace antagonism and defensiveness with the likeness of Christ on the cross. Like Paul told us in Philippians 2, a self-emptying love with arms open to welcome the weary abandoned and displaced. We must say with our actions that anyone looking for rest, for comfort, rescue, security, or to put it in another way, for anyone looking for a place to call home can find it with us where Jesus is Lord. I'm convinced that the greatest command that is the Great Commission teaches us that our task can no longer be to persuade the world into better morals, but to extend God's generous love in Jesus Christ by how we do faith in everyday life. Our task can no longer be formed by an understanding that people are projects to fix, problems to solve, or prospects to save, but rather persons to be loved welcomed and embraced just as they are, not as they should be, because that's how Christ embraces us. Our task must be to move beyond party political action, argumentative venting on social media, and to embodying the beautiful presence of Christ among us by doing what Jesus embodies, what he shows. We extend gracious hospitality, give compassion, sacrifice with self-giving love. So think about it. So I get really, really practical, okay? Think about what would happen if we rearranged our lives and organized our common life committed to the love of our good and beautiful King Jesus. What if the greatest command became our great commission? Here's some practical things I think would happen. And I want to just ask some questions. What, what if we started? What if we started with the simple things? and made sure that no one in our proximity spends the holidays feeling alone. So we call them just to say we're thinking of them. What if more of us joined our WCC care teams so that WCC members that needed care received care, whether it's an encouraging word or a need met? Like what if more of us joined our pen pals ministry to make sure that those in WCC who are lonely receive a handwritten card from time to time or a letter or that they didn't have to celebrate their birthdays alone? What if, what if more of us took three hours out of a Saturday morning to load up boxes of food for our neighbors and deliver some to our WCC family? What if WCC got back to what we called now for 10 years, 
our buy-to-give-one-away culture. Where, we, where when we shop for toiletries, we purchase two of them for as many of the toiletries as we can, and then we give them to neighbors living at Pineapple Inn or Lawanga House at the drop-off box here. See, there are many ways to join in God's mission through the common life at WCC and learn how to love generously and give generously. You can, you can see in the YouVersion app, if you want, or the worship guide, uh, some more things, and we'll be listing them over the next couple of weeks. But let's talk about ways to go beyond the common life of WCC. What if you and I started seeing the people who greet us in local stores and simply ask them their name? What if we tipped better? What if when we cut our grass, we cut our neighbor's grass too? What if you and maybe some other WCC folks hosted an Easter egg hunt for your neighborhood? What if, what if you and I joined with other local organizations that promote goodness and beauty in our city, like Literacy for Life, Coming to the Table, Resolve, 3E Restoration, the Village Initiative, and others? You can find all of those in the worship guide if you look there. Or let me, let me, let me make it really easy. Something I think all of us could commit to doing. What if we as a church decided that none of us would attempt to minimize COVID-19 due to our beliefs about how the media works and realize that there are people everywhere, even in our church, who have lost loved ones due to COVID complications? Like, what if we remembered that anytime we minimize COVID, we are actually minimizing the pain and the suffering and the trauma our neighbors experience? See, I can't help but remember what my grandma used to say not everything I think in my head needs to be said. Sometimes I just need to say it to Jesus. Beloved, we may not be able to wield miracles like Christ, like heal the sick or raise the dead to life. We may not be able to draw in mega crowds as we tell life-changing stories that make accessible eternal truths. But every single one of us can love generously without measure. And when we do, we will give generously to. We will give generously to God and God's mission through our tithes and offerings and other forms of giving that cares for one another and our neighbors. We can love and give generously because we know that God's love and provision is always enough. We can love and give generously because our power comes from God. And isn't that good news? We can have time to spare words to care, and resources to share. We can display the beauty of Christ by how we give, not just out of abundance, but out of whatever we have. As the church, we can organize our common life around what Jesus told us was the greatest and make a great difference in the lives of others. We can make love our great commission. We can love neighbors society says is unlovable. We can forgive neighbors, society says is unforgivable. We can welcome neighbors, society says is unwelcomable. We can give to neighbors, society says despicable. We can stand with neighbors, society says disposable. That, beloved, is the way of discipleship. We must learn how and learning comes by doing. Love has got to look like something. The love of God in Christ is generous beyond measure. 
the work of God's measureless and generous love is to teach us to love generously and without measure. When we do, we will give generously too because loving and giving go hand in hand. And this is so appropriate for us because Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And it leads us into the Lenten season. See, the Christian calendar gives us chances to grow all year round. During Advent, we're reminded of the incarnation of Christ and challenged to open ourselves up to the presence of God and the promise of the world that is and is to come. During Pentecost, we're reminded of the fire of the Holy Spirit, which sends us out to proclaim and embody the good news that Jesus is Lord and that God's hospitality is extended to all. However, one of these seasons, not one of these seasons, not one of them, would hold the weight that they do if it were not for the Lenten and Easter season. And it's during this time, the Lenten season, that we enter into Wednesday, that the church intentionally prepares her heart for the suffering and death of Jesus. It's a time where each one of us recommit to submitting to humble reflection, repentance, and rededicated obedience. It's a time for sacrifice, and taking on new risks for the gospel's sake. It's a time of prayer, fasting, and generosity. So, beloved, enter into this season with great intention, and the Spirit will do something beautiful with you, with us. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 